Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. I'm glad that you're here, and uh, we are continuing our series, This Is My Story. Uh, This is our summer series, June and July, and so we're kicking off July. I have the honor of telling the story of an early person from early church history. I'll explain all that in a little bit. I want to review, though. Um, You know, your story, if you've got some stuff in your past that you're not proud of, the good news is, is your story is history. Your story is history. You've been forgiven. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Your sin is not more powerful than his blood. His blood is more powerful. Uh, and, and, and you've been cleansed. Um, and so, but now, once you've been cleansed, there's another step. It's not just the forgiving that God wants for you. It's the freedom that he wants for you. And part of that comes in telling your story. So your story is not just history. It can become his story. And, and this, this, this story that you have can become ministry for others. If, if you've got good parts of your story, it can become prophecy for others where they get to experience the same good things that you have. It can be victory for you and for others. And so I just encourage you, look, the majority of, of people who attend VFC, we only have a handful that have been sharing their story this summer. But you don't have to have a microphone and a stage to share your story. You can do it around the water cooler at work. You can do it at lunch. You can do it as you're checking out at the grocery store. You you can do it everywhere you go. You can even not use words, but through your actions, preach an amazing gospel to people by how you treat them. Right? And so I encourage you, come on, tell your story Tell your story. So this morning is a little different. I've never done this before. I've told stories of people from Scripture, and we go to the Scripture, and we we talk about, um, you know, that particular person. I I was actually watching a a documentary on the early church, and I came across the story of an early Christian martyr named Perpetua, and it wrecked me, you guys. I mean, it messed me up. Listen to this story, and and I and I really I knew we were doing this is my story during the summer, and I knew that I would have the privilege of telling other people's stories from the past, and I just I knew I was supposed to tell the story to you guys, and so I'm going to tell the story of Perpetua, and then we're going to learn three things that we can take away from this. So, are you guys on board? Are you ready? Okay, sweet, sweet. All right, first of all, a little bit of backstory. You need to understand. That being a Christian today is very different than how it was a long time ago. Um, Christianity was illegal. If you were in a Roman-occupied territory, Christianity was illegal from the year 64 to the year 311. So for 250 years, if you were, this is the beginning of Christianity. This is just a couple of decades after Jesus died and rose again. After beginning at 64 under the Emperor Nero, 
It was illegal for you to be a Christian. You could not openly practice your faith. Now, Nero was an awful, terrible human being. Nero made it his, much like Hitler made it his job to kill Jews, Nero made it his job to kill Christians. As a matter of fact, he would crucify them. Many of the Christians would, be requ- would request to be crucified upside down because they said they weren't worthy to be crucified in the same way that their Lord was. Peter was one of those. Not only would he crucify them, though, he wouldn't take them off to a place outside of the city like Golgotha, but he would actually crucify them in the city along the main roads and light them on fire to serve as the streetlights. This is history. We know about this. And in, in, in 64, the year 64, there's a big fire. And, and, and uh, Nero, some people think he started it himself, but, but he definitely capitalized on it. He built himself huge palaces over the burned area. And he said it's the Christians' fault because they're not worshiping the Roman gods. So we're going to persecute them. And so this continued, and it kind of ebbed and flowed as different emperors were going on uh, in the Roman Empire. And then finally, in the year 311, uh, it was no longer illegal to be a Christian. The idea was that these Roman gods, and you probably remember you know, Zeus and Athena and all these different gods that you might have learned about in, in high school, These gods, they need to be sacrificed to, and the Christians wouldn't sacrifice to them. And they'd say, oh no, you know, these gods are going to do bad things to us because the Christians aren't uh, playing the game. So they would, they would, uh, they would, you know, bring them up on different charges. I already shared with you one of the charges they would bring them up on was cannibalism because they received the body and blood of Jesus. The other one, and this is crazy, is, is they would bring them up on charges of incest. Because they called their spouses brother or sister. We still do that today, right? In church, we'll say, hey, here's brother so-and-so. Here's sister so-and-so. And the church was known so much by love and honoring other people, which was such a foreign concept back then, that they would say, wait a minute, you're married and you called her sister? Into jail you go. Now, they knew it wasn't true. They knew it was a trumped-up charge, but that's exactly what they did in order to get them in jail. So... These martyrs, these Christian martyrs, a martyr is someone that's willingly given their life for their faith. These Christian martyrs, uh, there were a ton of martyrs in the early church. I mean, they willingly gave their life. They didn't didn't fight. They, They said, no, just like Christ, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm not going to, to, to use power in order to fight. My power is going to be willingly laying down my life like Jesus did. And so this, this martyrdom actually is what made Christianity uh, take in this area, in the Middle East and in Europe. It was this attitude, not let's gather all of our political people together and get our people in office and pass Christian laws. That didn't do it. It was people willingly laying their lives down that made Christianity work, that made Christianity flourish even under this crazy persecution. So that brings us to Perpetua. Perpetua, her name was Vibia Perpetua, um, and she's known uh, as an early Christian martyr. The reason we know about Perpetua is because she kept a detailed diary. She actually wrote everything down. It's the year 203, okay, 203. 
The city is Carthage, which is in North Africa. It's right across the sea from Italy. And so Rome had captured North Africa. Carthage was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. Just bustling city, all kinds of great stuff. It had a very active Christian uh, subculture, but they kept, it was illegal, so they kept underground. They met in houses, they met in homes, they spoke in secret code. Perpetua was 22 years old. She was married. She had just had a child and was still nursing. And she was of noble blood. Now, this is really important. Now, the good news of Jesus really makes a lot of sense to someone who's down and out and doesn't have anything going for them. For someone who's got everything going for them, sometimes they don't really need, see their need for a savior, right? But Perpetua was of noble blood. What does that mean? That means that she was educated and it means that she was wealthy. As a matter of fact, in her diary, uh, she writes, I believe she writes in her diary in Latin, but she speaks to others in Greek at one point. So she knows multiple languages. This is a smart girl. She's from a really good, well-known, reputable family. We don't know how she converted to Christianity. The the text that she wrote doesn't tell us that. But it picks up when she's already, she's a brand new Christian. And back then, uh, you, you became a Christian, you believed, and then you went through a series of classes to learn the tenets of the faith. And then afterwards, you were baptized, which completed your, your uh, conversion experience. Well, she had made the decision, and she was going through the classes. She had yet to be baptized. So it's, it's, uh, it's the birthday of the current emperor, Septimus Severus, which is the most Harry Potter-sounded name, Septimus Severus. But that was the name of the emperor at the time. So in honor of the emperor, okay, we don't know. Some people say it was his birthday. Some people say it was his son's birthday. Someone's birthday. So they had, just like the Roman Colosseum, they had a big amphitheater. Now imagine like a big college football stadium, okay? So you've got like a field in the middle and you've got like seats all around, okay, like in a circle. So you're surrounded by people. So they would have their games. Now you've heard of gladiators, right? They would the gladiators would fight to the death. This was their their sport that they enjoyed. But they also used this this arena uh, as a way to punish wrongdoers, a way to punish wrongdoers. And so so they would they would if someone got caught doing something bad, they would put them in this arena and they would feed them to to, to animals. And y'all have heard of this. I mean, this was, this was their capital punishment. And everyone would be invited to watch this. And they would cheer them on. And, yeah, you deserve this. And throw things at them. And boo them. And all that kind of stuff. And eventually, if the, if the animals didn't get them, then the uh, executioners would. So it's time uh, for a, a party. And so Perpetua, her slave or servant... Um, also had converted to Christianity. Her name was Felicity. And then others are all captured by the government. And they're, 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 they stand before the governor um, of the area. And, and he asks them to, to do a sacrifice to the Roman gods or be killed. So he asks them one by one, do a sacrifice. One by one, they say no. And, and then he asked them, are you a Christian? And one by one, they say yes. And he says, you are sentenced to death. Perpetua's father, which was, who was evidently a pretty well-known person, was really angry at Perpetua. In her diary, she, she talks about many encounters with him where he would have at this, at this, uh, this uh, trial where she stood in front of the, gov- the governor, he actually was holding her baby. 
and cried out in the middle and said, Have mercy on your son and on your father. And and many times, and she said no, so they got put in jail. Jail was not like it is today. There was no cable TV. There was no air conditioning. As a matter of fact, they didn't even feed you in jail. You would just die there after a few days if you didn't have family or friends to come and bring you food. And so she's sentenced to jail. It's incredibly hot. It's, it's funny. Um, the father visits and is angry. He says, please, just renounce this. This is so stupid. Just renounce it. Christians bring food to him. Two leaders in the church, two deacons in the church, come and bribe the jailers uh, to move them into a better part of the prison so they won't die so quickly. Like, I, I wouldn't want that job. Like, I feel like I have the spiritual gift of bribery. I just think that's funny that they bribed, you know, they, they bribed the people and the jailers were like, okay, sure, we'll move them to the, to the part that's not so hot, not so bad. Um, she also was allowed to nurse her baby in jail. Uh, they would bring the baby and she was allowed to nurse, so she, she had some favor. Now, Felicity, uh, the slave, was eight months pregnant. And she actually ended up giving birth in jail and both of them were baptized in jail. This is amazing. The person that was taking them through the discipleship courses to, to, before they could become baptized, the guy that taught the classes checked himself into the jail so he could finish his lessons. He ended up dying with them. It's interesting. She had a series of dreams and visions while in jail as well. And, and you can, she goes into great detail. You can actually Google uh, the passion of St. Perpetua and St. Felicity and read all of her writings um, and it talks about the different uh, visions that she sees. And one of them, she's asking God, what's going to happen to me? And she has a vision where she's climbing a golden ladder. And up at the top are saints who are martyred before. And, and so she goes up to the, to the ladder. And she looks down and there's a huge dragon uh, n- like nipping at her. And so she steps on his head as the first rung and walks up the ladder to be with the rest of the martyrs. And so in that vision, she said, okay, this is, I'm actually going to be giving my life up for my faith. They have a last meal, um, and they turn it into communion. They turn it into a worship service. It's actually, there are people that gather around. They're looking in the jail and watching them. They kind of became many celebrities uh, in the Christian church. It's time for the games. Um, and so they, they put uh, 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 Perpetua, Felicity, and the others. Uh, there's about half a dozen in all. They put them in the middle of the arena. They have a bear, they have a leopard, and they have a bull, okay? The bear, uh, they try to let him loose, but he actually ends up killing the guard. And so they're like, okay, we're going to keep the bear out this time. Um, but, but the leopard and the bull are let loose on the people. Um, Felicity gets hit, I'm sorry, Perpetua gets hit by the bull, flies up in the air, and lands on her back. Uh, and then she's, she's pretty wounded. Stuff's probably broken at that point, and she's kind of limping around. Uh, this, this, this slave, the servant, uh, Felicity, gets trampled by uh, the bull as well. And it's interesting. The Romans were used to seeing everyone fend for themselves. But what happened is, is Perpetua got up from her injury and went over and began to tend to her own servant. It blew everyone's mind. Like, why don't you just let the bull finish her off so that he won't come after you? But she tended to her own servant, who was supposed to be less than, who was supposed to be not equal. 
Finally, um, the leopard bites one of the people, and, and it's, it's not going well for them. But none of them are, are fully dead. So they're, they're trotted up to the very middle of the field, and the executioner is going to finish them off one by one. He, he is about to slit their throats. They hug each other. They give each other a holy kiss. And again, the crowd is just, they don't really know what to do at this point. They're just not used to seeing this. And then one by one, the executioner comes and finishes them off. He gets to Perpetua. He misses. He hits her in the collarbone. And she screams out. But then she takes the sword and she puts it right up to her neck. And then he finishes her off. It's crazy. Everyone's talking about this. Later, we find out the jailer that was charged with keeping these people have converted, has converted to Christianity. Many people who were there that day converted to Christianity. They saw not just a, a new way of thinking about the God or the gods. They saw a new way of living as a result of knowing God. And her lifestyle on display was life-changing for those that were there. They wanted a good fight. They wanted to see blood. And instead, they were preached to. They were shown the gospel of Jesus. There's a, there's a famous uh, early church father and writer named Tertullian that lived in Carthage that, that, that was around this time, a contemporary of what was going on. He said this, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, what has caused the church to grow has been the blood of the martyrs, those who willingly and intentionally gave their lives for the gospel. In reading the story and praying about this, there are three things that sustain Perpetua that I can see as we're reading this. There are three things that sustain Perpetua during this time of suffering. And I think these are three things as well that we need to adopt now, none of us are being uh, drugged into coliseums to face, uh, you know, leopards, right? How do you even fight a leopard? Like, I don't, you know, like you hit one of the spots. I don't know how that works. I'm not sure. But, but that, that's maybe, that's not like what we're facing right now. But maybe you're facing, you know, a, a, a coworker that's shaming you because of your faith and, and threatening you. You better not say anything about Jesus in my presence. Maybe you have a family member, or, or maybe you've got a child that, that's just driving you crazy, an adult child that's, that's rejecting Jesus, and you just want to shake them. But you know that's not what's going to change their heart. Whatever you're going through, we're all going through some sort of trial, some sort of suffering, some sort of something. And I want you to see these three things that Perpetua used to make it through this. And I don't want us to apply it to our lives. Here's the first thing that sustained her. It was her identity in God. Her identity in God. By the way, our, the sermon notes are in the app. If you go to the app, you go to Sunday at VFC. You can look at the sermon notes and keep up. Um, the first point is identity in God. You know, Perpetua wasn't just a daughter wasn't just a wife, wasn't just a mother, wasn't just a noble woman. But she placed her priority. She allowed her identity to come from who Jesus said she was. Not, not through her socioeconomic standing or her race. 
Not, not through anything else, how much money she made, what people thought of her last name. None of that is where she placed her identity. She placed it in who Jesus said she was. There's At one point, she's talking with her father, and he's giving her a hard time. He's saying, please, look, just, look, just renounce Jesus publicly. You don't have to really mean it. Just say the words so you won't die, and then you can do good stuff. You can still believe, but, but come on, just don't, don't, don't orphan your son, right? Don't let me, don't force me to watch your death. Come on, just, just say the words. She's quoted as saying this, Father, I said, do you see here, for example, this vase or pitcher or whatever it is? I see it, he said. Can it be named anything else than what it really is? I asked, and he said, no. So I also cannot be called anything else than what I am, a Christian. She stood firm. Her identity was, was in what Jesus said about her. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people. New King James says a chosen generation. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. As a result. Okay, do you want to show others the goodness of God? Then that's going to be as the result of understanding that you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. King James says peculiar people. Some of y'all are pretty peculiar, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. But, but, but knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, will allow you. It says, it, says, uh, it says, now as a result of knowing who you are, understanding who you are, you can show others the goodness of God. we got too many Christians out there who don't know who they are that are still trying to preach the gospel. And it doesn't make sense to the world because they don't even fully understand it themselves. But when you know who you are, You'll do what you should. When you know who you are, you'll do what you should. And, and, and this is the answer. If you've got sin in, in your life and you're struggling and, and, and you're struggling with this regular sin, uh, you know, that, that's always coming up. Look, you don't have a do problem. You have a who problem. You need to figure out who you are. Because when you understand that, you will act in the way that you should. And so Perpetual understood that her identity was in Christ and in Christ alone. The second thing that really helped her through this time was this, the family of God. Not just the identity in God, not just identity, but family as well. Christians, local Christians rallied around her. The idea that the Bible study leader would check himself into jail, thereby condemning himself so that they could finish their lessons and be baptized is amazing to me. The church rushed to the aid of these believers being persecuted, even helping beyond what their own blood family would do. As all the believers gave each other that final kiss before they were all martyred, it, it, it was this sense of togetherness and oneness. It wasn't every man for himself as, as had been seen so many times by the Romans. It was belonging to something bigger than themselves. These martyrs, they knew that they were part of something bigger than themselves. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. So fulfill the law of Christ. You want to make God happy? You want to make Jesus happy? You want to do what Jesus has asked you to do? Then you bear one another's burdens. Now, I understand. Sometimes it feels like, look, I got plenty to deal with on my own, right? I I totally get that. I, I totally understand. But I'm telling you, you will not be truly happy until your life is lived for someone other than yourself. It's what we were created for. It's what you're hardwired for. That's why you see people. Have you ever seen the documentaries where someone wins the lottery and they like blow it all and like their life is, is, is worse off after winning the lottery than before they won it? Have you seen that? Now, if I were to ask you guys, I'd say, well, would that happen to you? Y'all would all be like, no. <laughs> Every single one of you. No, that wouldn't happen to me. But statistics... <laughs> Show that that might not be the case. Why? Because we're hardwired not to receive but to give. Now, of course, logically, you have to receive in order to give. You can't give what you don't have. But the purpose, the point, the reason isn't the receiving. It's the giving. It's the giving. And so we're called to bear one another's burdens. John chapter 13 Verses 34 and 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's summing up this whole Lord's Supper thing that they just had, that we, that we practiced earlier with communion. He says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Okay, you should really pay attention. Jesus, the Son of God, the most recent, best example of who God is, is saying, I'm giving you a new commandment. Almost as if to say, Look, if, you don't, if you don't get anything else, get this. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. How did Jesus love us? He died for us. And then he says this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another. It's preaching the gospel. It's telling the truth of who God is. When you choose to lay your life down for another person, to give instead of to yourself but to someone else, You are choosing to be like Christ and you're preaching the gospel maybe without even using words. This is how we are to be the disciples of Jesus. How many times do we miss this? How many times do we think it's our well put together presentation or our bumper sticker or our Christian t-shirt or our Christian music or our stance against sin? Look, if you want to stand against sin, go for it. Just make sure that the first sin you stand against is your own. When I hear people talk, we're going to take a stand against sin, I usually usually find they're talking about someone else's sin. But the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm the chief of sinners, man. You want to talk about sin? Let's talk about mine. Maybe we can get to yours. But I need to let you know that without Jesus, I am nothing. That's evangelism. That's preaching the gospel. So not just, not just was, was it her identity, not just was it family, but it's also intimacy. You know, Perpetua had an amazing relationship with the Holy Spirit, so much so that she was receiving visions and dreams and all sorts of stuff. As a matter of fact, in my study this week, um, I, I heard different people talking about Perpetua, and a lot of them, um, they were kind of weirded out by the visions and dreams. 
because they don't believe God necessarily does that anymore. And they were like, no, so we know this is a little weird, but um, it's not weird at all, man. It's called relationship with a living God. Why would a living God not talk to you? That makes no sense. Of course, the living God is talking to us and will use any means necessary. And sometimes that's supernatural means, right? And so her intimacy with God, that personal supernatural fellowship with the Holy Spirit kept Perpetua motivated to endure what was to come. The, 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 Lord, the Lord had called her to martyrdom, but he was not going to leave her alone in this. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says, I has not seen, nor is ear heard, nor has entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. She's not by your eyes, not by your ear. It's not by human reasoning and understanding that you can know the will of God, but you can know the will of God. It's by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. How many of you want to know the deep things of God? Heck yeah, that's awesome. All right, guess where that's found? In relationship with his spirit. That's where it's found. John 14, 16, Jesus is talking. Again, this is part of his last discussion with his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Helpers, capitalized, capital H. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever. The role of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He guides us. But he also is here to be with you for relationship. How long will he be with you? Forever. That's faithful. Right? And and so intimacy with God. Look, whatever you're going through, the, 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 the family of God, right, is important for you. It's super important that that we embrace the the family of God to help us through. Your identity in God is going to be really important. But intimacy with God is what's going to keep you faithful. Is what's going to keep you on that correct path. Here's, Here's my question for you this morning. Are you willing to lay down your life for your faith? Now, now, here's the truth of it. You will probably never be asked to die for your faith. Statistically, probably, you will never have to endure what Perpetua and the rest of it. You probably will never be taken into an arena and fed to lions or tigers or bears, oh my. Or, 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 have, to, or have to, you know, proclaim Jesus uh, or deny Jesus under penalty of death. You'll probably never deal with that. But you do have the choice every day whether or not you're going to lay down your life for him. Galatians 2.20 says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ can only live in you to the degree that you are living in you. So you get the opportunity to die. Maybe not literally for your faith, but every day you get the choice to die. To your will. Die to your sin. Die to your way. So that you might live for Jesus. Are you willing? Is that a decision you're willing to make? It's a question that 
Only you can answer. Let's stand for prayer. I I encourage you, uh, next week, uh, you'll get to hear uh, a story from my mom. Some of you have heard her story. Most of you have only heard pieces, and I encourage you, it, it, it's, it's an amazing story. Um, oftentimes, you, know, you look at people, you know, mom and dad founded the church 20-something years ago, and you, you look at someone in ministry and you think, well, you know, they must have had it all together their whole life and come from a great background. Nah, it's not true. And so I encourage you, mom's story will be next week. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be really good. I want you, if you will, close your eyes. I always like to internalize this. I know this is a little heavy, but come on, I'm not asking you to, to, to be sacrificed for your faith. I'm just telling you the story of someone that, that was. But come on, ask yourself, am I willing to lay down my life for my faith? As Christian shared earlier during, when she spoke, she laid down her plans. She, she had her life planned out already. And it was a good plan. Nothing wrong with that plan, except that it wasn't God. What about you? Are you willing to lay down your life for your faith? If you will, I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you make this commitment to the Lord. And and don't make it hastily. Look, if you're not ready to make this kind of commitment, then don't say the words. But I encourage you, this can be one of those moments for you where you can always point back and say, this was the moment where I told God, yes. I'm not talking about salvation. If you've never been saved, you never come to Christ before, you need to do that as well. But I'm talking about lordship. Where you'll go where he says go and do what he says to do. So if you will, repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. And thank you for the early church that spread your word by giving up their lives. I'm thankful that you're probably not calling me to die for my faith, literally. But I choose to die to myself today. I die to my plans and embrace your plans. I die to my sin and embrace your righteousness. My life is not my own. I belong to you. And in this life, I embrace your identity. I embrace family. And I embrace intimacy. So that I can walk through this life with victory. I'll go where you say to go. And I'll do what you say to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Tiff, will you close it? Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.